You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. We live in an interesting day and age, don't we? I mean, think about all the stuff that's out there in our culture, from technology to media and just the social stuff happening. And it, it really is an interesting time. What's, we just saw in that little video there about the spiritual realm and the existence of you know, what is seen and felt and heard versus what is unseen and unknown. And what's interesting, though, I think at the conceptual level, people have very little difficulty accepting this idea that there's an alternative reality. Um, in fact, recently on an, there was an NBC online survey, over 25,000 responses. Of those, and of those responses, 86% accept the idea that there's a parallel universe that might exist. 86% of the, of the people. Well, it, here's the thing, though. Science actually supports the idea. Scientists will say when they deal with this, at the conceptual level, it's possible. Now, no one's been able to work it out, but they actually, I read an article, there's, there's some lab in Tennessee where they're actually trying to actually physically and actually identify this. So, conceptually, this idea that there's an alternative universe, there's this reality outside of what we can see and feel, is one that most people will, will accept, um, even though we have no idea what it means or what that looks like. And, but conceptually, it's something that, that's, that's there. What is interesting, I find, though, as well, is that we historically have assigned a moral lens over that reality. Um, and that we see this, we see it in the movies like The Matrix, where there is definitely a good and evil. It's not just a scientific type of thing, but there's good and evil at play there. Uh, those of us who are Lord of the Rings fans, the cosmic struggle between good and evil and what is seen <clears throat> and what is felt and what is unknown and un, unseen and just that whole thing. Um, even you think of some of, your old, your, some of us who might be older, some of the TV shows like Touched by an Angel... Um, Highway to Heaven. Uh, was that Michael Landon was in that one there? So uh, again, I'm showing my age, but even more recently, Stranger Things or um, God Friended Me or even The Good Place, which is a few episodes. I didn't realize it's not a good place. So it was a, a, a bit of irony there. <clears throat> See, here's the thing. From almost the beginning of human Existence. We've looked to the spiritual realm, to spiritual forces to influence the world. I mean, almost from the very beginning, that's been part of our identity, part of what we do. Now, there was a period of time that usually, you know, if you're a fan of history, from the Renaissance, usually to the, um, you know, 14, 15, 1600s, getting into, you know, more of the Industrial Revolution time, where we thought that if we could explain it, well, then it must mean that God doesn't exist. And so there was come of this anti-rejection of God where, where that... But actually, now that we're in a postmodern era and we're getting into subatomic types of things at the molecular level, and you realize, holy smokes, the complexity of all that's there, the idea that this is all just kind of random and arbitrary, it takes more faith to believe that than it does that somehow that... There's some order to that. And so even in our day and age, there's this idea of good and evil, of spiritual realm that exists outside of what we can think and feel. What is interesting as well is that the Bible talks about this very clearly. There's no doubt as to how the, what position the Bible takes in this whole conversation. The Bible 
wholeheartedly supports the reality of existence beyond what we can see and beyond what we can touch. The Bible, though, is unique in that it actually portrays this reality as not just a passive existence, but that there's an intentionality of the spiritual forces at work. Jesus warned us, Paul warned us, throughout Scripture we're warned that as we walk out our life in Christ, we must be aware that we have an adversary that wants to distract us, to deceive us, and destroy us. The Bible is really clear about that. There's no mystery. <clears throat> Peter, <clears throat> excuse me, 1 Peter 5, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls. First Peter 5, the enemy, <clears throat> the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Christ followers were daily engaged in a spiritual conflict. But we must know that we fight from victory. We're not fighting for victory. We'll talk about that here a little bit more. Satan has been defeated through the cross. Now, <clears throat> if uh, you've been here for the last few weeks, you know that we're in a, we're in a study of Ephesians. We've been looking at this book, the six chapters that are there. The first three chapters, Paul talks about what? Yes, this is a quiz. <laughs> What's Paul talking about the first three chapters? Okay, okay. Our identity. Close. Our identity. Remember, he's talking about our identity is in Christ. We're not, we're not slave or free. We're not Jew, Gentile. Our identity is not in our status. Our identity is in Christ. And he talks all about that God has done for us on our behalf, that it's not our work. It's not up to us to do it, that Jesus has already done it for us. <clears throat> and then the last three chapters, there's this idea that, all right, if this is what's been happening, this is who you are, and this is what God has called you to be, there should be some visible expressions of that, how you live out your life. And he's saying, don't live down to the culture around you. You're better than that. Strive for a better way of life. And he raises the bar. And last week, we talked more about relationships and uh, specifically looking at, he talked about the marriage relationship, the family relationship, parents and kids, and also the work relationships. Um, talked about the slaves and masters, but we applied it more towards the work environment. And, and uh, so that was last week. And Paul ends his letter. So the very end of chapter six is where we're at now. And he ends his letter with a discussion about a reality beyond which we can see, but a reality more real than anything we can imagine. It's in, a, it's in chapter 6 of Ephesians, starting with verse 10, and uh, it'll be on the screen, or you can watch it on, uh, read it, follow me as I read on your uh, electronic device or uh, your actual Bible. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, 
and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and we're so grateful for Paul's writing down his thoughts and that we still have this letter that he sent to a group of people in the city of Ephesus. Um, Lord, we're grateful that we're able to hear and understand and learn from him even more than 2,000 years later. Lord, as we dig into this passage a little more, give us insight and wisdom. Father, help us to understand better what you're doing and what you desire to do in all of our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How many of you remember uh, back in the 70s, Flip Wilson? Those, again, old enough. I don't know why my stuff is so old today, but uh, uh, Flip Wilson, those of you who are too young to know, was a comedian. Uh, uh, So his thing was, back in the 70s, he had a TV show, and uh, actually, just from a historic standpoint, he was actually the first African-American who had his own comedy TV show. So, I mean, so it was a significant deal. But his big thing, one of his characters, remember, remember Geraldine? Okay. Geraldine, so he's a male comedian, but he played, he would, he, could, he dressed up as a woman and her name was Geraldine and he would play her. And what was the, what was the saying? What was he noted for saying in, the devil made me do it. So I was like, why did you buy the dress? The devil made me do it. You know, well, what do you mean? Well, I was walking on the sidewalk and I look in the window and I hear the devil on my shoulder say, you should have that dress. That dress would look good on you. And, and so he's having this conversation. Again, it's just everyone's laughing because he, he obviously does it better than I do. Um, <laughs> he could make a living uh, doing it. But here's the thing. And, and there's all kinds of things that Geraldine would get into and do, all really bad, but it was never her fault. In every, system, in every circumstance, the devil made her do it. And so she was the victim, if anything else. That's one of the challenges that we have about understanding spiritual realities from culture. Um, on one hand, you, it borders on the absurd. You've got Flip Wilson and Geraldine just kind of making joke and light about it. And, and it is funny, but what it does is it, it diminishes the actual effect of what we're talking about. So it, by, by portraying that light, it actually can diminish the reality of it. On the other hand, there's many in our culture who just deny it altogether. It just, it just doesn't exist. If we can't see it, touch it, and feel it, then it just doesn't exist. And so you have that idea there as well. So for me, the question becomes, all right, if spiritual forces are real, if this really does happen, to what degree do they influence our lives? If spiritual realities are real, to what degree do they influence our lives? And Paul gives us some insight in the passage we just read as to what that looks like. When it comes to spiritual power, one of the things that Paul discusses is this idea of our strength. He talks about our strength. Now, there's a number of New Testament concepts um, which have dual qualities. In other words, we're talking about this idea of it's a present reality, but also a future reality. So one of them is like the kingdom of God. When Jesus came and entered into the kingdom of God, we are living as part now as part of the kingdom of God, but we also know the Bible talks about a future kingdom of God. So it's present, but not yet. 
is this dual existence. Um, this idea of being saved, being redeemed, but we're still being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So there's this present reality, but there's also this future perspective as well. The same idea applies to this concept of spiritual warfare. The war is over. Jesus overcame death. He overcame the grave. He overcame sin. He, the devil's been defeated. The war is over. And yet evil still exists in the world. And we know that there's a final judgment that's coming. And we know that it's still not completed. I want to look at it in that sense. <clears throat> it's important to realize that we are, in fact, engaged in spiritual warfare that requires spiritual resources and spiritual strength. We are no match for Satan. But he is no match for God. It's important that we recognize that it's not our own efforts, it's not about our own abilities that we're able to confront the evil. It's through the power of God. First John 4 says that the one who is in you, Jesus, is greater than the one who is in the world, Satan. Jesus in us is greater than what we can encounter in Satan. Because God has already won, and because the Holy Spirit lives in us, we are not to be passive in exerting spiritual authority. It's not a passive thing. There's no coasting. We need to tenaciously pursue Christ so that his strength is manifested in our lives. Using a sports analogy, the best defense is a good offense. Spiritually speaking, we need to be the aggressor, if you will, asserting our victory in those types of situations rather than being passive. But it's, again, our strength is not in ourselves and our own strength, but rather it's in God and his strength. That's where the power resides. So when it comes to spiritual power, Paul talks about our strength. Paul also talks about our struggle. And then in, from verses 11 and 12 and then beyond for the rest of it, he starts talking about this idea of armor. Why is it you think Paul uses the analogy of armor? I mean, he's writing to a church group, you know, Christ followers. He's talking, he's using this metaphor of armor thing. So the reality is, is that if you have to think back in that time in history, who was, the, who was in power at that point in time? Rome. So all that whole region was conquered territory. Roman soldiers, Roman patrols, Roman armies were everywhere. And so everyone knew exactly what he was talking about. They understood the analogy because they understood the Roman soldier. They understood how that whole thing was working. Notice also in verse 11, Paul talks about... um, Can we get... It's verse 11 up there? Yes. So... The first sentence there, take your stand against the devil's schemes. Interesting way to put that. Notice that he didn't just say against the devil. It's not a frontal assault. It's the intentionality, it's the plans, it's the strategy of the devil against you that Paul is talking about. It's important to understand this then because that we must know that the enemy we face in waging this warfare to recognize the threat and to know his schemes. So being under, so it's, again, it's not a frontal assault. It's not a direct assault per se that Paul's talking about. 
it's this other stuff that causes us to lose sight and lose focus that Paul's talking about. And Paul, in this, he's, there's a few things that, that become very clear, not just in Paul's words here, but also with the rest of the scripture, that we need to, we need to understand that Satan is real. Satan is real. That and in Isaiah, or in a number of passages in Scripture, we see people, Jesus, others, talking about him as, an, as a real entity. But Satan is a created being. He's not divine in that sense. He doesn't pre-exist. He's not um, a deity in that sense. He's a created being who rebelled against God and was cast down from heaven and cast into hell. Isaiah 14 <clears throat> talks about this. The prophet Isaiah in referencing Satan, says, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, O son of the dawn. So those are actually were positive things. And so there was the idea that it, at one point in time was a positive force within the heavenly realm. But you've been cast down to the earth. You once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. On the utmost heights of the sacred mountain, I will ascend to the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But then Elijah, I'm sorry, but Isaiah then steps in. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. So once part of the heavenly realm, but who had selfish aspirations and was his downfall. Jesus himself says in Luke 10, talks about Satan falling like lightning from heaven. So Satan is, <clears throat> Satan is very real. Satan is also <clears throat> a defeated enemy. In Colossians 2, another one of Paul's letters, he says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And lastly, Satan is a deceiver that works through lies. In John 8, Jesus is talking and again, talking about just some of the characteristics. Actually, he's talking to the Pharisees and some of the religious leaders and comparing them to their spiritual father, Satan. Not a really good conversation. There was some, uh, there was some heat in those, that conversation going on there. Again, the, the devil is the father of lies and, and is a liar. <clears throat> Lastly, then, when it comes to spiritual power, Paul talked about our strategy. In verse 13, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, the day of evil comes, um, and all just in my preparation, I was like, what is that? What is the day of evil? There's no consensus. We don't really know. There's four possibilities that, that we're going to be. One is that it points to a specific time of tribulation immediately before the end of the world. So when everything is about ready to blow up, there's this, uh, this is the day of evil. And it's a specific point in, history, or in the future that's coming. Um, so that's one perspective, what that reference means. Another reference, another possibility is that it's generally speaking of any point in time in the future that's bad. So it's not a specific thing or event. It's just kind of whenever, you know, things go off the rails and things are going bad, that could be the day of evil that you're pointing. So it has more of a general application. 
Um, the third option is that it's present tense. In other words, Paul's talking about that today is the day of evil. We're living in it and um, that that's part of it. And the fourth option is actually kind of, it's where I kind of fall. It's actually a combination. It began because of Paul's other conversations has both this present reality and future reality. It, it actually have both. And so this idea that, that yes, because he's talking about put on the armor now. So there's the reality that you need it now to deal with evil, but it's also pointing to a day to come that could be possibly happening as well. So this, the, when the day of evil comes, it's be ready today, but also be ready for what might be coming down in the future. <clears throat> Paul's goal for all Christ followers is that they're able to stand their ground. That's the point of all of this, is that you're able to stand your ground. The idea is that sometimes you see this uh, in some of you like Westerns or sometimes, uh, I mean, like Lord of the Rings, some others, where there's this huge battle and all of a sudden the battle's over and those who are still alive are still standing. You know what I mean? And so it's, that's the idea here is that the bat, when the battle's been fought and over, you're one who's still standing. And that's Paul's ideal. The Christ follower who has no strategy for battle becomes easy prey for the adversary. <clears throat> we must proactively walk out our faith. And then, which is a, a common passage for, for many, Paul identifies six tools or six weapons, if you will, that we need to protect ourselves. Um, we talk, he talks about the belt of truth. He talks about the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Um, it's funny, as we we're walking through this and planning this out a few weeks ago, it's like, all right, do we're going to put the picture of the Roman soldier and highlight all the things? And we decided against it, largely because my, my far my feel is we tend to focus on the, the, the belt. We focus on the breastplate or the shoes or the shield or the helmet. When those are the examples, that's not what he's talking about. He's using that as an illustration. What he's wanting to know is that what you need to have, you need to have truth. He ties it to the idea of a belt to make it a point. But the idea is that we need truth, that we need, that, that although there, the scholars, there is some uncertainty as to what the belt role that plays in the soldier's makeup. Um, but it's the ability to recognize the lies and deceptions from the enemy. We need truth to be able to recognize and see what the enemy is plotting against us. We need righteousness. We need to be righteous people that to battle and confront evil, we must do what is right and practice justice. We need to be righteous people in how we live our life. We need peace. We shouldn't be anxious about anything. We shouldn't be given to worry because of the peace of God that is in us. God is for us. And we need faith to live confidently knowing that God is good and he is working for our good. We need salvation. We live confidently knowing that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. We have the mind of Christ. We need that. And lastly, we need the word of God to confront the deception of the enemy and to guide us to truth. It, it is interesting that of all of the other five, they're more defensive connections. This is the only one that has an offensive application or use. The Word of God 
Um, the idea of the sword that he's talking about here is actually a short sword used in hand-to-hand combat. And so it had an offensive application, an offensive use. And that's what the Word of God is to us as well. It's to use in situations. Um, it was, oh, I, I went to see uh, Ron at the hospital on Friday. And uh, I know, Carrie, someone had made for him, it's probably had a dozen eight and a half by 11 pieces of paper with Bible verses on them about God's provision and God's providence and God healing, all those things in his, in his hospital room. Which, that's what he's talking about here. Yeah, your circumstances might not be really good, but that doesn't define your reality. That doesn't define you. What does Scripture say about you? What does God promise you? And that's what's being used here, and that's what Paul is trying to talk about here. Um, yesterday, I, uh, I spent a good part of the afternoon uh, putting up an external antenna. Uh, for so we got rid of cable, the cable box here a few years ago. And since we moved into our house a little over a year ago now, um, actually not quite a year, we're coming up in a year. And uh, we've had just one of those internal antennas that we use. And um, it needed to change. So it was actually, it was, it was near a window that faced north. And, you know, sometimes channels would come in, some didn't come only in certain days, and, you know, it just, it was, it was very inconsistent and very frustrating at times. And so we've been talking about this for a while, and so I have a tree that's in, our, it's in the back of our house, near the house, and it was, I was able to, it had some branches up, so basically, so it's about 10 feet, for, okay, so the antenna that was there inside the house, facing north, it's now about 8 feet away eight feet higher, and instead of facing out a north window, it's facing south. I have it pointed towards the south. And um, so all this stuff, getting it wired and getting it in the house, and get all, it took a few hours to get it all together, and then you plug it in and turn it on, and it worked. That was the big thing. But we've got probably three dozen more channels now than we used to have. Simply because it's eight feet away, about eight feet higher, and facing south instead of north. It's just tuned to the airwaves differently. And as I was thinking about this whole idea of spiritual warfare, I realized that's really what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, folks, it's out there. The airwaves are full of all the signals. You just need to tune your antenna a little bit and be a little bit more perceptive and recognize what's going on and be prepared for that and be aware of what's happening because it is there and it is affecting your life. The fact that you're not paying attention to doesn't change the fact that it is there and it is doing that. Paul doesn't say that we need to put on the armor if the day of evil comes. But he tells us when the day of evil comes. Soldiers, what do they do when they, go, when they know they're going into battle? They train, they prepare over and over and over again to be ready for when that day comes. And so it should be with us. Paul ends the contents of his letter with, with this at the very end of verse 18. He says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So, we do need to get our antennas 
the focused, we need to position them, and we need to be engaging the source of our strength and the source of our power. Again, it's not our abilities, it's not us. It's God working in us and God working through us. Yes, we have an adversary. And no, it's not like Philip Wilson. It's not just kind of this thing who's making us buy dresses and buying things. And there's an adversary that he means us harm. Scripture is very clear. He means us harm. However, we do not need to live in fear. I love Romans 8. Paul is talking to another group of Christ followers. And he says this. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, neither anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, these words from Paul about the realities of spiritual forces. Lord, even though we don't see them, we don't often recognize them. um, Lord, that doesn't deny that doesn't alter the fact that they that they do exist. And Lord, as as followers of Jesus, we look to your word as how to understand and think about these things. So Lord, I pray that you would guide our thoughts, guide our, Lord, the way we just process this kind of thing. Lord, my prayer is that if there's any here who are being attacked by the enemy, that you would give them, Lord, the resources they need, whether it's the verse, it's the scripture, whether it's just the recognition of what's happening and be able to stand and say no more. This is not, you're no longer going to be able to do this. I'm a child of the king. This is not up for debate. You need to leave. Lord, maybe those kind of conversations need to happen. Father, some of us, I think, just may just need to tune our antennas, our spiritual antennas, to a different frequency. Change the direction a bit and just pay a little bit better attention. Father, we do this not because we're afraid, not because... We feel like there's something insufficient about us, but it's because we want to be, Lord, everything that you have made us to be. We want to live in freedom. We want to live in peace. We want to live, Lord God, the life you've called us to live. That even though there's this enemy, this adversary working against us, Father, we do not have to accept it. We do not have to live under his influence. So Father, may this day be the day for some to be delivered this day be the day that they are set free. Lord, and may all of us walk in the hope with the expectation that we are victorious, that regardless of the forces against us, you have already won the battle. And Father, because you are in us, we also are victorious in the battles that we fight. Lord, we commit ourselves to you and to your purposes and all that you desire to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.